Well, hello again and welcome. Um, as as with our previous guest, we're, we have the, the privilege of being here at the Microsoft Executive Briefing Center talking to some folks from MSIT on how mm -hmm. we, Microsoft, have done some things with uh, with Azure and how we've you know moved through this journey of of you know going from on-premises infrastructure yep. into <clears throat> a uh, you know cloud world and you know I think that we face many of the challenges and dilemmas that customers see so uh, we have some guests that have talked that we're going to talk with um, on uh, you know how how we've overcome some of these challenges and we'll uh, you know hopefully you know have some applicable things that, that you guys can use and how features of Azure can can help in addressing you know security and governance concerns that uh, many of you have. Yep, good deal. Um, dog food. I like dog food. Yep, yep. Yep. Some kibbles and bits, please. So as yeah. always, I you know I'm here with my uh, my loyal sidekick Matthew. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've elevated. I love it. Good. It's good. Yep. <coughs> so who's our guest? Yep. You want to introduce him? Yeah, and we yeah. have uh, we have Richard today from uh, from MSIT. Yeah. Hi there, Richard. How you doing, Richard? Yeah. Good James. to meet you. Oh. Ho, ho. <laughs> Oh, man. So, so I could push on it and make it a little worse, too. MSIT doesn't exist. It's okay. core services engineering and okay. operations. Right. IT is a, it's a, it's a brand that traditionally, you could say, has a stigma with it, it where there's less value with those functions. And okay. really, we are moving towards having engineers be part of a product group where we move things forward as part of the rest of the company and have a shared culture yeah. around engineering practices. And we don't do things that are special that require, you could say, glue. Ooh, on our okay. solutions, and we can be more of a consumer of out-of-the-box features, be that early adopter, and improve our products, and then get those out to the field, and then showcase how we're doing, you could still say IT in the industry, mm -hmm. and then drive better adoption. Oh, okay. so that's that's the, the goal behind the, the rebranding. Okay. Yeah. No, that, that's... Uh, you know, I never heard that. Yeah, I, ne I never have either, but, but if you think about it, I mean, you know, IT kind of does have... Uh, Stigmatism sometimes of being very controlling, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, you you will follow these rules and and um, you know, oh, or man. else type of approach. Whereas, kind of embracing that agile culture is a right. way to kind of accelerate doing things, you know, quicker and better. And and if you don't have all these boundaries that you traditionally mm -hmm. put around it, you can allow these groups to kind of do things, you know, quicker. So. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's helping us move the needle much faster than in the past. Um, with the IT culture that we had in the past, we would have these monolithic solutions, okay. and we would push them through rigorous processes that had to be consistent, and where we would drive things together as an organization and have to worry about the laggards. Mm. And it was a very slow-moving engine, and now it's much faster as we start to federate out the, the functions across the organization and innovate in pockets on DevOps and agile practices, modern engineering these things we can accelerate on individually and then showcase those best practices and then move the entire organization. So what do you think was the real reason behind the laggards? You know, what was kind of their excuse to not coming along quickly versus now? Yeah. You, you've obviously given someone either a better carrot or you've got a bigger stick. So and, and, yeah. and what did we do historically to, to deploy these, these workloads? You know, we, yeah. we joked earlier about you know the the flighting process of you know click the <laughs> click the button deploy and then pray right like what 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 was our traditional you know yeah. model that we followed to yeah absolutely so uh, you could say that a lot of the internal controls 
had heavy policy on them for mm -hmm. a good reason. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have socks in place, for example, right? Mm -hmm. We need to audit who made changes to our financial systems and when they made them and why it was made right. so we can meet those compliance standards yeah. okay. and, and protect the company and protect our customers, right? And when we move forward with modern practices and we don't have these monolithic solutions, policy breaks down to the component level now. Hmm. Everything isn't under socks. If I have 10 components instead of one big MSI that I'm installing, I only need to apply socks to the application that matters in terms of that policy, where that data is PII or, mm -hmm. or it's more of a high-valued asset. That's where the policy matters and where we can put focus and make sure that we really do have um, things um, enforced that, that meet those guidelines. Mm -hmm. And then we can go move fast on those other components that don't have to be under that same umbrella. Oh, so it's not, it, it's not the big whale of everything because, you know, one piece has it. Now I can probably yeah. apply where it's necessary. Oh, that's very nice. Yeah, yeah and that's something I'm sure many of our customers have challenges with also. Or, or, you know, they have these policies they have to abide by, whether it's SOX or yep. you know, FedRAMP or whatever, that if you're focusing on just mm -hmm. where the data is stored and, and yep. kind of the aspects of the application and workload that touches that data, you can minimize that, that footprint that you have to kind of control and, and kind of puts a lot of, you know, governance around. So, yep, and okay. it, it adds a lot of value to those controls as well because when we go to look at the data that's under scrutiny or the audit of the, the changes that were made for a specific application, yep. it isn't a monolithic application that represents a larger service. Mm -hmm. It's a very focused component. So they're able to do a better job in terms of monitoring those controls. So that had to be a huge cultural change in a lot of your... Um, audit and scope and, and people, how they viewed things, right? There's probably a lot of conversations around discussions of saying, well, we used to see it this way, but now we're going to shrink this. Probably got a lot of yays, but then a lot of people felt like, well, uh, what about all this risk, right? You probably had a lot of some naysayers, you know, some people that kind of dug in a little bit, you know. To, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely the, the two schools of thought in terms of centralization and decentralization. Sure. Okay. Where I've seen the naysayers push is in terms of the solutions mm -hmm. that must be adopted. Here's the specific tool, and here's how it's going to integrate with our services, and here how it's customized for our workflows. That's that's where there's the the you could say overstepping the bounds of centralization. Mm -hmm. However, what's really good and where I'm seeing the organization move is centralization in terms of what is the outcomes. Okay. So if I go look at like our our organizational dashboard in terms of our metrics and see where we're at from a health perspective or our engineering fundamentals. I see things like uh, security remediations or code coverage. Um, mm. There still are some things in there that specify specific tools where yeah. we don't have other innovations available. Mm -hmm. um, so for example, like with a uh, cred scan for secrets, looking in source code, right? Mm -hmm. But there's probably nothing out there that says we couldn't use something else as long as the outcome is sure. still um, obtained, which, where we don't have zero, or we have zero secrets in our source. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so it sounds like that, you know, kind of gone from, you know, minimizing the footprint of stuff that we have to govern and put policies around. And then, you know, that's kind of step one. And then we have the tools and automation that exists to be able to help make, uh, you know, our business teams, functional teams that are releasing solutions or workloads uh, more mm -hmm. agile. So why don't we talk a little bit and you know, unpack it a little bit more and kind of talk okay. about how, what exists in Azure to be able to allow um, these teams to be able to accelerate, you know, their their time to market or, or their ability to release things. Yeah. 
Yeah, so you could say that Microsoft has embraced open source in the last few years. It's crazy. Um, yeah, with rigor, it's crazy right? Talk. Everyone's aware of it, and <laughs> yeah. it's, it's having a lot of impact in the industry and mm -hmm. as well as internally in Microsoft. Yeah. So my team specifically just started using Windows containers, which is internal, but using Docker and that's more open source. Mm -hmm. And we're using that to take some of our legacy components where we don't want to go rewrite them entirely from the ground up, mm -hmm. containerizing them, and throwing them in Azure Service Fabric cluster. And the engineering effort for that is much less, and we get off of those classic resources, and then we're more secure, and our density's up, so our cost goes down. So those types of patterns are what's really helping so, us. So huge benefits there. Now you're re removing the, the, the needs to patch and maintain Infrastructure. We talked a, a little bit about, about yeah. this in our, our earlier conversation. Um, you know that once you deploy a workload and kind of the the IaaS model or, or mentality, yeah. you have stuff you need to you know, take care of the care and feeding of. So moving to these these platform services, yeah. a la Service Fabric, Kubernetes, AKS, you know, yep. services where you can kind of containerize your application, you can take advantage of of the infrastructure at a more dense manner to be able to reduce costs, and then. Yep. Um, also reduce the amount of work you have to put into you know, yeah. taking care of that. Yep. How does yeah. this work for then even too, like third party, right? Yeah. So you get a lot of third party, you obviously can't rewrite. So how about, you know, some of those pieces, I'm sure Microsoft is using other customer, you know, other vendors' products, right? This is probably some uh -huh. elements there that made it easier for you guys too, or? Yeah, ISD solutions that, that you know, we bought off the, off the shelf. Yeah, I mean, we, we use GitHub obviously, for a lot of our experimentation. Right. Um, when we want to go external and we want to share source, we use GitHub. So um, that's now, obviously, on its way towards being more of an internal, but it's, 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 been, it's been open for a long time. Um, it, in terms of the extensions within VSDS or now Azure DevOps, um, there's a lot of third-party components that have been published, and we, we work with our, you could say, centralized IT VSO team okay. uh, that is now managed by CSENO to enable those extensions on our account and then light those up. So um, you could, what's a couple good examples? Um, well, RMO is internal, cred scan we use. There's AZSK, which is now published externally. Okay. Uh, we use that, that to look. So that one we go in, it scans our subscriptions mm -hmm. and then at the resource group level or the sub level and it looks for vulnerabilities of those resources we've deployed to the cloud. And it will okay. detect those vulnerabilities, such as if, let's say, a really good high-level example is if we've enabled HTTP mm -hmm. instead yeah. of just HTTPS. Gotcha. Okay. And then that'll get flagged, and then we can go in and remediate those, redeploy the resources the next time with those ARM templates where we have that remediation built into the template, and we don't have to worry about it moving oh, forward. Oh, that's nice. Cool. Yeah, and it, it identifies those. And that can be released publicly at some point? It is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's out there in the marketplace. So that, so that's an example of these these governing, you know, these guardrails, if you will, that we put in place to try to protect our business units from doing yeah. things that they shouldn't, and but still allowing them to move as quickly as, as necessary to be able yeah. to get, accelerate their time to market by eliminating the need to have the, the you know, the, the central IT organization have to intervene and kind yep. of review things and, you know, and bless it to actually deploy. So, okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Now I have a question. So we talked about we're talking about these components in this journey and whatnot. Where was the effort and the time spent to develop the boundaries, right? So we talked about now guardrails. That's probably a long pole in the, right. in the tent, right? So can you share some of that, how that went? And yeah. So after dev and test combined, mm -hmm. there was greater accountability on the quality of that code 
and there's greater awareness in terms of what it takes to deliver quality software. It took a long time to get there. Mm-hmm. And now as we transform again, there's two things that we're combining. There's more of the operations model or that service engineering, as well as release management. So from a policy standpoint and from a SOX compliance view, we have this rule in place where those that develop the software are not the ones that deploy the software. Mm, okay. That's yeah. very counter to a DevOps model, yeah. right? Where you have engineers who are writing the code and checking in multiple times a day, potentially, mm-hmm. getting it into the environment, flighting it, looking at those results and deciding to keep it or not, right? right? Yeah. So if we have these types of policies in place, we really need to reduce where we entertain those policies, and that's where componentizing, you know, the things I mentioned earlier, help in that manner. Yeah. And also, it helps build that quality into the release and the deployment pipeline. Yeah. So who does the, the deploy? So is it tools? Do we, are we using CICD pipelines? Yeah. And, okay. Azure DevOps. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Oh, okay. that was just easy. Yeah. You should have yeah. done that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I suspected that might be the case. So oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So we have a full CICD pipeline where we, we build and release through Azure DevOps. Now that just didn't magically appear overnight. So I, I'm trying to draw out a little bit here of just the yeah. pain that the organization may have felt or did yeah. just because the nature of Microsoft's mentality and culture and what we do was a very easy because a lot of customers look at yeah. it and they go, that's the whale I don't want to eat. Or they just see a mountain and they're like, I, this is an easier path, right? I can still maintain my, my structure. And yeah. I'll try to bend Azure to my will, and, and we, we see right. a lot of crying at the end. But So just, just give us some insights a little sure. bit, too. Just you know, prepare yourself, right? You know, this, is, this is a journey. It's absolutely, yeah. Yeah, if you take a monolithic build, which is what we had before, a lot of integrated components that are heavily coupled with one another, mm-hmm. and you attempt to move it forward with the DevOps model, the amount of knowledge that one person needs to have needs to be very high. Mm -hmm. They need to be very effective across the entire domain of what they're working with. Also, the tools that we use, like HP Fortify, for example, they need to work against a very large project, a solution that has 30, 40, 50 Mm -hmm. projects in it. And often those are challenges that these tools that we have in our CICD pipeline, they can't meet the needs of. So we have to do one-off processes where we run the tool separate the project, you know, separate out the projects, run it, and then we go and deploy once we've met compliance. Mm. So it takes a, a dedicated investment and it's a long journey to break up these applications into smaller components. Mm. And that's the journey we've been going through over the last few years is to take our monolithic source and slowly break it down into smaller components, more enterprise services, more API focused, and then get those to be in an agile state where we can just engineer with DevOps and we have a separate process for that versus our, our monolithic larger solution. So we deploy on demand with what we have that is full CI, CD with DevOps, with Azure DevOps. Um, our more monolithic solution, we deploy at the end of every sprint, which is two weeks. Oh, okay. So I was working with a, a customer who had um, you know, some, their ISD and they have you know, some solutions that they deploy and, and publish. And they had a you know single Visual Studio solution with tons and tons of projects in it, right. and it sounds like very much what you just described is equivalent to what the state that they were in. Mm-hmm. And when you look at automating deploying that, now you have mm-hmm. this really tightly coupled dependency yeah. tree between all of these projects. You know, you have this this project depending on the other project, and right. it's really easy to do when you build it through you know MS Build on a you know, on a big beefy build box or on a developer's machine. But yep. when you want to componentize the deployment of that, you make a change to one piece of it, and you want to reduce the amount of 
testing effort required across the entire set. You know, you're just changing one bit. One bit. Right. That's a good way to to uh, or, or that's a problem rather that that other customers um, you know have encountered as well. So, right. So like, how how are we doing that? Is that I mean is that just kind of just biting off uh, one project at a time, trying to componentize as much as we can and. Yep. So we look at where's the debt. What are the things that are the most difficult to test okay. that represent the highest risk or what are the projects that we change the most, the most frequently? Uh, a lot of our business rules where we need to go in and maintain these rules. Mm -hmm. um, those are the things that we go after first. Mm -hmm. okay. We pull them out, um, deprecate the old code base, get a separate build in place for this component, map it to a new component ID, so that way we can track it for compliance reasons as, as needed, as whatever umbrella it falls with under. Um, and then we engineer that with rigor. Um, the, the legacy, at that point, we turn it off, Mm -hmm. for that feature set, and we move forward only with those items that we haven't pulled out yet. So okay. cost. This is going to be another part of the thing is a lot of customers go, well, the cost to, to do that journey is too high because they, they either don't have a good understanding of what their costs are today yeah. uh, and then what, how to project a future cost you know, you know, for that return. Or, or the example the customer right. I just highlighted where they, you know, they, you know, they, have, they want to move to the cloud and they're like, well, we have this massive code base, you know, it's going to cost us a... Yeah, you know, uh, there's a dollar. A yeah. Dollars, yeah. yeah, there's, there's <laughs> a price tag yeah. on it that they either see is insurmountable. Yeah, uh, because their vision's yeah. too short. They don't see the longer view, right? Or, you know, to your point, the debt is just like, well, I, if I did, it's been running for 20 years. Why do I need to touch it now? Yeah, right? there's no compelling reason to move that forward. Yeah. So you know, Microsoft just we didn't just decide yesterday. To go, right. Oh, you know what? This be a great idea. Let's just gut all that and redo it. Right. Yeah. Well, I, if you break down costs, there's a lot that goes into it. It's for not sure. just the hard dollars, it's yep. the soft dollars. Yep. Mm -hmm. And those are the ones that really matter. If we think about the implications of people and how an engineering organization wants to grow, mm -hmm. we want top talent. Oh yeah. So yeah. if I'm gonna force an engineering team to use old tools and old processes and they have less control, <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna get the best engineers. Well, you'll get me. But you mean <laughs> I get Ryan, yeah. That's right. right. <laughs> so, so that directly translates to one of the soft costs. Yeah. Also, there's risk. So yeah. if I have a very monolithic solution and I'm not going to invest in componentizing those areas where we make a lot of changes, mm -hmm. I can't as rapidly test those changes and verify that we're good or experiment with those components that do experience more changes faster. Yeah. I have to accept the risk that these are harder to test and get them into production and pray. <laughs> like we talked about earlier. Just hope, you know? Yeah. 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 Okay. Interesting. Okay. Um, so anything else that, uh, that you think would be, you know, Exciting and applicable to kind of talk about you know, our, our journey and, and moving some of those applications and yeah, and I, I think one thing that that we're being cautious of, really cognizant of at the organizational level, and mm -hmm. it's it's striking a balance is that IT glue um, in terms of customization to make things work where we have unique policies for a very large organization. Yeah, that's a good point because I think that's one of the other major excuses that is we're not like everybody else. You don't know who we are. I'm a, I'm a bank, I'm a hospital, I'm a whatever, fill in the blank, right? Yeah. I'm unique, but I think what people don't realize is, is to your point, uniqueness is not a barrier. Right. It yeah. shouldn't be a barrier. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. I, I love coming to meet with you guys and showcase what we're doing. Yep. If we're all proprietary, I can't do that, <laughs> right? I, I can't talk yeah. to a customer and tell them how to take advantage of Azure 
and componentize and use Windows containers, for example, if we have a, a pipeline that's very specific and unique to us. Yeah. yeah, it really takes out that value and, and our ability to have an impact in the industry. Yeah, and, 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 and uh, quite honestly, you know, to the you know our earlier conversation we had this morning, that that just shows the agility of Azure of Azure to be able to mm -hmm. to uh, you know accommodate the, the plethora of different types of industries and customers yeah. that are out there. We're able to use it ourselves. Uh, you know, certainly, right. you know, customers can can as well. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, I think one other thing too is just understanding some other soft measure of cost is mm -hmm. is what does it take to run our services? Yeah. And what is the cost per? Yeah. Um, with a lot of our monolithic solutions where we're integrated across multiple tiers of, of applications, mm -hmm. uh, it's very difficult to understand what it is to do, what, what it, the cost is to do business with the customer Yeah. Um, for each of these transactions because mm -hmm. it hits multiple systems, multiple components, and it, it's very difficult to measure. So as we break out these capabilities and we build experiences on top of these capabilities, it's now becoming much easier to understand what it takes to run these services and what the cost is per, where we don't have to support legacy code and monolithic solutions just mm -hmm. to run one little tiny um, feature for a customer. I think the feeling that you, there was a, a lot less of paralysis through analysis to do something first, which was just take some trust and some, some strategy to it, obviously, but go ahead and commit to that if we fix this, we're going to know more information. We're gonna have better uh, yeah, we're gonna be more in touch with what IT is doing in the transactional cost, right? Yep. You know, yep. versus have some customers who go, "Well, I want to understand it before I commit to it," and they, and they get tied down in a bog yeah. of, of despair and misery, and, and they never come out of it. You know, because yeah. they're like, "Well, we we you we know, just it's too hard." You know, yeah, push it away. Yeah, I, I understand that comment is basically the intersection of modern engineering practices yeah. and agile. Mm -hmm. We don't have a large project that's multi-year, multi-month. We basically do something small that's in the backlog within the span of a sprint, and we learn from it, and we go directionally from there in terms yeah. of adjusting our roadmap. So we learn as so we go. Yeah, exhausting two or three years' time to find out that a misdirection was made, and you can you can course correct right. quicker. Yeah. So many of our customers, our organizations are waterfall-based, right? Yeah. I mean, they think in that mindset they have for decades because yeah. you know where they came from. IT was expensive, so let's make sure every penny we spend delivers some type of value. Well, just, that's how you end up with, 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 you know, 200 projects. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, but there's a lot of throwaway work in oh, that approach. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. We only look about two sprints ahead mm -hmm. in terms of the work that we have clarity oh, wow. on okay. what we're going to execute on because the industry changes so fast. Mm -hmm. New requirements come in or we might bring in a new partner and decide that we want to adopt them, and that might be more important that we have what we have in the backlog right now. Right. So there's or no extra feature. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we yeah. do those once a year, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. I, I do have the feature timeline favorited. I mean, that's, yeah. The, yeah. the innovations are rampant, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. great. And that's, that's also just from the, the people perspective in terms of people management. That is super refreshing as well for people on the team. The the pace of the industry I thought would be a barrier for us. Well, it keeps them motivated. It, it does. It keeps them motivated, and I'm able to bring in people with diverse skill sets, mm -hmm. and they can acquire new technology just as fast as anyone else on the team because yeah. it's all new. Yeah, yeah. Every day. Field, yeah. Yeah. It does. It, it I don't does have to be the SME anymore, and I am God, and whatever mm -hmm. technology. You know, now we all are, are learners, constantly learning. Right. Yeah. To throw that one out there. So just yeah. one for me over here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. Yeah, very cool. I have one other thing is, um, and it was in that kind of space of, you know, as, as things are changing and evolving and whatnot, um, 
you know, there's a, a bit of this is, well, I don't need to be an innovator. My industry is a slow mover to get, and we'll call it healthcare, right? Healthcare oftentimes take a backseat because they take the patient risk model, right? And they lay it over everything. And while they tend to have a lot of innovations, you know, talk and whatnot, they're not an innovating industry, yeah. right? They, they are, they are in risk the bog. Yeah, yeah, they're in the bog of misery of everything has lodged technical mm -hmm. debt, right? A lot of their EMR systems are billion-dollar investments. You know, then they have data systems that are also in the hundreds yeah. of millions of dollars. So you know, did Microsoft have a parallel with you know kind of the you know the health industry from an IT perspective, internal IT? Yeah, I think there was. I think the drivers were a bit different, though. Mm -hmm. um, my perspective is, is that was more of a funding sure. reason. Well, right. You know, you know, investing in these tools that were not external mm -hmm. and not going to be consumed by our partners. Right. Um, and, you know, not going to drive the industry in terms is of development practices. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But but nowadays, the industry is innovating so fast, and so are the threats that, are, that we're faced with yeah. every day. And they're innovating. And if yeah. we don't innovate at the same pace, we're the ones that are going to be compromised. Yep. That's yeah. not good. Yeah. yeah. Great. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thank, thank you very much. All right. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, James. Really appreciate it. it. Yeah. yeah. Good time. Thanks. All right. Thanks.